You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History Happy Hour, a special series from History Uncovered. It's the end of January 2024, and we've handpicked a few of our favorite history stories from this month. Today, we'll be talking about... The mysterious coded note found in the pocket of a 19th century dress. The discovery of two mummies in Egypt entombed with golden tongues. How archaeologists in China came across an ancient wooden celestial calendar. The surprise discovery of a cemetery in Wales with evidence of graveside feasting. And how a sling bullet found in Spain might confirm the location of an important battle. As well as a number of historical anniversaries from January, including the ratification of the Treaty of Paris, the miracle on the Hudson, and the first sale of the Apple Macintosh. I'm all this interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. And I'm all that's interesting staff writer Austin Harvey. And welcome to the first History Happy Hour of 2024. All right, so we're going to talk first, as we usually do, about some of the stories we've covered on the site in January. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of fun this time around. I think it's like almost a fit. Well, it's not a 50-50 split because we did five of them. But I think three of them are yours. We are the yours. only two writers who wrote any of these. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we don't have to talk about anybody else's writing. <laughs> Just us. <laughs> Just us. Well, I wrote the first one on this list, which is about this uh, strange coded note that was found in a 19th century bustle dress, which is a dress with like kind of the... The back goes like kind of up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a really, this woman bought it at like an antique fair. She collects old things and found this note in the pocket. And it has lines like, uh, one line was, Bismarck, Omit, Leafage, Buckbank, Paul, Ramify, Lomi, event, false, new event. So that stumped her. So she put it online to see if anyone could crack the code. And there were all sorts of theories of like, was it a secret note between lovers? Was it like a spy? something to do with like illegal gambling but mm. yeah it's not any of those things it's actually something a bit more banal uh this data analyst figured out that it's codes that were meant to represent weather observations in the 19th century oh weird because back in the day telegraph companies charged by the word so these businesses not just weather stuff but like all over the country would come up with these codes they could send information back and forth more quickly and Got cheaply. It. Makes sense. It's like when we used to all have limited texting plans. Uh-huh. And then like you text somebody like, hey, uh, you know, make sure your messages to me aren't just yes or no because <laughs> I only have 150 right. texts to send every yeah. month. And it then was, they're like, yeah. Got it. And you're like, God, no, that's exactly what you're not supposed to do. Okay. And then you've wasted all of them. Yes. Um, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what this was. In this case, something like Bismarck Omen Leafage Buckbank could be translated to mean that at Bismarck Station in the Dakota Territories, at 10 p.m., the temperature is 56 degrees. Their barometric pressure was 30.08 hg. I'm not even sure what that really means. The dew point was 32 degrees. The weather was clear and dry, and the wind was blowing at 12 miles an hour. Wow. I know. And it took this guy, like, he he was he like, poured over almost 200 
old code books to figure this out and then finally figured out it was Weather's stuff. But they're not sure who the dress belonged to or why this woman would have had this note in her pocket. That's a mystery still. Huh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of information there conveyed very concisely. Yeah. I think it's so interesting because he was like, you know, back in the day, this stuff would have made sense, but there was no reason to really keep it around. Right. Right. Yeah. That's kind of strange. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Look at the rump on that dress. Yeah. <laughs> that was the look. That was the fashion. That's funny. Well, that's kind of a fascinating. It was, it was a fascinating story with sort of, yeah, an ordinary uh, answer to the puzzle. But yeah. what I mean, but not even entirely, because like you said, it's still a mystery as to why she'd be carrying it around. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, the note also had the name Bennett on it. And they thought there was this, Um, I think it was in D.C. There was some like weather station. They found there was a male employee, the last name Bennett. And he had a wife, but she was eight months pregnant at the time that this telegraph was sent. So she wouldn't have fit into the dress. So that didn't make right. sense. So Very weird. Very weird. Yeah. I like the comment that somebody left on that article. Quite interesting. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> You're very welcome. Well, the next story we have, kind of an exciting and weird bit of history Archaeologists working in Egypt found mummies buried roughly 2,000 years ago with golden tongues. Mm. Their tongues replaced by gold. Wow. Strange. Yeah. I guess the idea being because gold was such a revered type of metal, uh, so valuable, I mean, throughout all of history, pretty much, mm -hmm. that it would allow them to communicate with Osiris the Lord of the Dead in the afterlife. Hmm. And so it would have been something that they only did for people who they considered like important in society. They don't know who these mummies once were, but that's the reason. And there were a number of other really interesting finds along with it. Then this was, I had I'd heard about the tongue of gold thing before. This was the thing that's new to me. The terracotta statues depicting the hybrid goddess Isis Aphrodite. Oh, uh, did you know that was a thing that happened at any point in history that they like combined gods? No, I did not know that. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, uh, this was the for um, context. The tombs were found in Oxyrhynchus. Mm -hmm. And they found tons of mummies, well, not tons, but they found other mummies with golden tongues there as well. Right. Yeah. These are uh, the six. The, these make 16. But pharaohs didn't have golden tongues i don't think that i know of no i wonder if part of it was just that they were already revered oh, like they could already talk to anyway it. yeah no well, that's possible interesting yeah i don't know the answer to that yeah what did they call it they called gold the flesh of the gods wow i have a book on a uh, cleopatra that i found on a stoop that i want to read by uh her last name is Schiff. i can't remember her first name it's supposed to be very good yeah you'll have to relay some of that information because <laughs> yeah. i'm not going to take the time to read it but i am curious yeah i will if i get to it this year i shall yeah yeah i guess the next thing this is like an easy segue it's just, well easy it's a segue it's it's it was <laughs> from around the same time about two thousand years ago right they found this this wooden calendar yeah archaeologists in china unearthed a set of wooden rectangular pieces so these were not like a traditional paper calendar, but the they linked them, basically said they were an astronomical calendar that hmm. hid, quote, celestial secrets. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. 23 different wooden strips. Each of them was marked with a specific character. They were all about an inch wide, four inches long, uh, with a circular perforation at the end so they could be 
tied or chained together. Hmm. Kids flashcards, you know how they have that like ring at the end of them sometimes. Oh, yeah, like a binder ring kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So kind of like that, but made of wood. Each one was inscribed with the Chinese character related to the uh, Tiangan Z, Tiangan DZ, or in English, the 10 heavenly stems in 12 earthly branches, which was an ancient Chinese astronomical calendar system uh, established during the Shang Dynasty, which was like 1600 BCE. Wow. It's so fascinating how ancient cultures came up with these different ways of tracking time. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I did a little bit of digging into like how this calendar system worked. The name is kind of kind of gives it away. They had a cyclical combination of 10 what they called celestial stems that corresponded to 10 days of the Shang week. And then the 12 earthly branches represented a cycle of 12 days. So the calendar cycle was on like a 60-day cyclical system. Hmm, wow. Yeah, and based on that cycle, archaeologists think one of the one of the uh, wooden slips might represent the year the tomb was sealed. The other 22 could basically specify any other specific year on the calendar, so they don't have a lot of specifics about oh, interesting. what these mean. I wonder if it marked significant moments in this person's life who was buried there. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's really scarce information, at least at the time of writing this article about what everything could have meant here. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. It's a really, yeah, it's a really, really interesting calendar system. It's always fun to look back on the ways people track time before the calendar system we know now. Well, the the calendar was like pretty accurate, Julius Caesar's calendar. And then the Gregorian calendar, which came after it, was like, well, like Easter was getting too far away from the solstice. They needed to fix that. So they came up with leap years, I think right. is the story. But they did this hundreds of years ago and it like it worked. Like that's fascinating yeah. that they figured that out. Yeah. I mean, I think they were talking. I, I, I read about this maybe like a year ago or something, but there's a project. Oh, I know what you're talking about. We have a post about. People are like trying to develop a new calendar system. Yes. We have a post, I think it's called What Year Is It? And it's it's all the different, yeah, what year based on different cultures. And this is like one of them. It might not be in that article. It might be in a different article. It might not be in that article. Yeah. I'm so, yeah, it's fascinating because people are, yeah, they basically looked back at the Gregorian calendar and they were like, we could do this better. Yeah. Well, even the Gregorian calendar, like eventually it's going to have the same problem where we're slowly sliding like in the wrong, it's not going to be as accurate, like way, way, right. way in the future. Right. But also think about like what a massive undertaking it would be to try and change the calendar now. Yeah. I did find the article that I was trying to think of. Okay. This Hank Henry permanent calendar. Mm -hmm. The idea here is to like that it would be very, very, very down to what's the word I'm looking for? Like nothing would ever change year to year. Like no leap years? No leap years. January 1st would always be on a Monday. Oh, weird. Oh, what if your birthday was January 1st? Wait, New Year's Day is always on a Monday? According to this calendar system that these two guys are proposing. Oh, like this year, actually. New Year's Day was on a Monday. Yeah. October 31st, when many celebrate Halloween, would be eliminated altogether, along with Friday the 13th. Oh, that seems unnecessary. (laughs) It would also eliminate time zones. Wow. How would it do that? Hmm. I don't know. They also claim that it would save you over $500 a year somehow. All right. Interesting. I guess there's probably a reason why we haven't all jumped to convert to that calendar, but. Yeah, I think it's relatively new. The CBS article is from February 2020. Hmm. Interesting. So. Well, we should do a podcast about calendars. That should be yeah. be fun. 
there's another this Washington Post article from November 2013. We're going on so much about calendars here. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's so it's interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah. There was almost a calendar that would have had 13 months and 28 days in each month. Hmm. When was that proposed? Was that in 2013 or is it much older? Well, no, this would have been in 1923. Whoa. The, uh, there was a special committee of inquiry into the reform of the calendar, and they proposed a plan called the International Fixed Calendar which was comprised of 13 months of 28 days. Where did this happen? Was it in the States or somewhere else? It was in the States. Hmm. Or no, it was the League of Nations. Whoa. Oh, doing the important work, that League of Nations. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. That does seem like a multinational decision to make. You said this was in the 20s? Yeah. That is fascinating. That is really, like, really fascinating. After World War One, that they would be like, all right, we're all going to work together now. And one way we're going to do that. We should all get on the same page. Yeah, ex- yeah, literally. Same page of the calendar. Of the calendar, yeah. <laughs> wow, huh. Yeah, anyway, we can move on from calendars now, but that's a little calendar funness Boy. for uh, you. <laughs> I, think, I think we should do a podcast about calendar uh, yeah we could we i clearly we could go on about it <laughs> clearly <laughs> <laughs> we find it fascinating so yeah well this next story has really i can't think of anything to connect it to calendars nope it happened a year yeah it did happen it in happened. time <laughs> That's, it happened that's in time. true. It was it was interesting. This group of archaeologists in Wales thought that they were going to investigate a prehistoric settlement uh, near this castle called Fonman Castle, and instead they came across this medieval cemetery. It was not just a medieval cemetery; it was like a very odd medieval cemetery. For starters, some of the bodies were buried in like crouched positions instead of uh, flat on their backs, which was weird. Yeah. They also found evidence of graveside feasting rituals. Uh, which included animals that had apparently been uh, butchered and and cooked, uh, glass drinking vessels, and even a small peg that might have been used for like a cribbage-like game. Oh, weird. But there were no settlements nearby, which led them to assume that people had come to the cemetery specifically to do these things, to eat and play games and things like that. So it's like like a park, but also yeah, a cemetery. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Very interesting. Um, and it's interesting you make that point about parks too, because cemeteries back in the day like were intended to be like parks. I mean, there are cemeteries in New York, uh, the Greenwood Cemetery near me. Right, yeah. It's a park. It's basically a park. You can go and like walk around. It's beautiful. So there's like a lot of questions about this cemetery in particular, but it seems like people came there for a reason and it was to like, yeah, eat and play games alongside the dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really neat. There's a um, book that I own that I've never read uh, because it's dense and old, but it's called The Golden Bow. Mm hmm. It's a very thick book written by James Fraser. It's like very, you know, it's a dense anthropological study about ancient customs around life and death, methods of worship, sex practices, rituals and festivals. And at the time that it came out, which I want to say was like early 1900s, it was like really instrumental in changing people's notions about primitive life where they everybody thought it was very very i mean primitive right simple Mm. not a lot not very complex but this book really changed a lot of people's opinions on that and said no there you know there was like 
a lot going on yeah. at the time. Uh, 1922. 1922 was published. Huh. Yeah, that is so interesting. I do want to read it eventually, but it's, you know. Yeah, especially since I feel like we, I mean, especially writing news stories about like archaeology, it's like it's evidence of people living complex and rich lives yeah. that we don't understand at all. We didn't put it in uh, in this episode, but there was that they found an entire civilization recently, evidence of an ancient civilization in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. And they just thought people didn't live there for years. Did you write that? I did, yeah. Is that the did they use that new technology to like it's like a laser type Yeah, that LIDAR. LIDAR, yeah, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. We've done a couple articles where they found like pretty fascinating stuff with that. It's like it's in plain sight. What they, what they can find. Yeah. Them. But yeah, they found mounds, different mounds throughout the Amazon that they were like, oh, people definitely lived here. There's evidence that they had like shelters lined up, but it wasn't like a bunch of villages scattered about. It was a massive city with like interconnected roads that led directly from point A to point B, mm. Ew, which fascinating. is, you know, harder to do than to trace the natural landscape of the road, which indicates that they actually were designed to be traveled between. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it makes you wonder, like, what will be left of, like, our civilization in, I don't know, a couple thousand yeah. years. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe the Earth will be just, like, a dead husk at that point. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of that scene from, like, Planet of the Apes where he sees the Statue mm. of Liberty washed up on the beach. Right. Yeah. I always think about, like, uh, when you see old coliseums and, like, our sports stadiums now and how similar they are and what yeah. those would look like when, you know, civilization, like, collapses at some point. And yeah. When, when it inevitably <laughs> collapses. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting to think about what that would look like. Yeah. There's so many cool different interpretations of it. Uh, are you, you've, you've probably, I, maybe you've watched it, but are you familiar with the show Adventure Time, the cartoon? Oh, my sister used to like it. Yeah. I haven't really watched yeah. too much of it, though. That's a post apocalyptic show. Hmm. It's set on Earth after the quote unquote mushroom war, but oh. like a nuclear war that brings magic back. Oh. to the planet huh. and so like all the candy people and stuff are like future earth interesting yeah huh. just a weird bit of lore about that show but i always love the different interpretations of what that could look like hello all eric rivenis with the most notorious podcast here each week i interview an author or historian about a historical true crime tragedy or disaster Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers and have a safe tomorrow. Our last news story is about um, they found I mean, you wrote this story, but they they found this bullet basically, in Spain. Yeah, like a lead bullet, very old lead bullet, inscribed with the letters C-A-E-S, which they took to be an abbreviated form of Julius Caesar's name, which on its own is like a pretty interesting find. Mm -hmm. The reason that it was inscribed is just because that's how they would have marked whose side you were on. Hmm. It's like, it seems like a really unnecessary thing, but they would have marked it. We are Caesar's army. So this lead bullet says his name on it. Huh, that's interesting. Because then you feel like if you fired the bullet and then someone, you know, it's like left on the battlefield, like your enemy could pick it up and 
use it themselves. Right. Yeah, I don't quite get the logic there, but... I mean, I kind of... I mean, I guess it's the same as dropping bombs with, like, this one's for Hitler or something, which... Yeah, 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 a little bit of taunting, like, hey, remember who did this to you? But the bigger discovery here is that where it was found, which was in the countryside of Montilla, Spain, it doesn't quite 100% confirm it, but it indicates heavily that this was where... Caesar, his forces put an end to an ongoing civil war at the Battle of Munda, hmm. where they won a decisive conflict against the sons of Pompey. Hmm. Pompey with Y, not two eyes. But the the actual physical location of that battle has been like a huge topic of debate for researchers over the years. And so this evidence heavily suggests maybe this is where the Battle of Munda was fought. Hmm. Oh, wow. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. If that's the case. That's really fascinating. I got this book. It's uh, Emperor of Rome by Mary Beard. She wrote SPQR, which I've mentioned like uh, several times. So I'm really excited to read it about Roman emperors. And maybe it'll mention maybe it'll mention this battle if it's an important one. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like it was. It was uh, 45 BCE. The sons of Pompey. uh, What were their names? Gnaeus and Sextus Pompeius basically had grown sick of Caesar's dictatorial leanings and fought back, started the civil war against him, and he crushed it Hmm. here, which was a huge blow to anyone who would dare stand against Caesar. The battle concluded in 45 BCE, and then one year, almost to the day, was March 17th, 45 BCE was the day that battle ended. March 15th, 44 BCE was Mm. when he was assassinated. The Ides of March. Almost one year to the date. Wow. Huh. So it just kind of illustrates how how sick of Caesar people had gotten. Yeah, right. (laughs) The pressure against him. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Roman history is so fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Roman history is basically world history. Like, (laughs) because they were so vast. Yeah. They were everywhere. Yeah. I mean, those were all really good. I mean, if I don't say so myself, like really good news stories this month, I think. I think so, too. Covered an yeah. interesting array of uh, topics. Yeah. No, we started the new year off strong with news stories this year. Yeah. This is like not important, but the one I wrote today about the swearing parrots. Oh, yeah. Um, we, my parents have one of those parrots, the African gray. Really? Yeah. It, she doesn't swear, oh, but she does talk. And she's she really mean. She could swear. We don't swear at each other in our family. So yeah. she would never learn it, I guess. But the phone rings. She'll like answer. She'll go, hello. And oh, things like fun. that. And if we open the door for the dog, she'll like whistle for the dogs. And she's really smart. Oh, wow. But oh. she she is mean. She'll bite you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. likes my brother and everyone else she hates. That's funny. All right. Well, moving on to our second part of the episode, then we're talking about historical anniversaries that happened in January, of which there were quite a few interesting ones. Yeah. Yeah. Had to narrow it down a little bit here. (laughs) Yes. Some of the uh, more pertinent ones. Uh, January 6th, 2024 marked the 30th anniversary of the assault on Nancy Kerrigan Mm -hmm. as immortalized by the movie I, Tanya. I don't know how much I really need to say about it. Uh, Nancy Kerrigan was competing against Tanya Harding to be in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. They were at a national competition when somebody jumped out at Nancy Kerrigan with a metal rod and smacked her in the knee really, really hard and damaged her badly. Yes. Um, There's really brutal footage of her right after the assault where she's just screaming why. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. 
obviously was a huge deal, made a like massive splash in the professional figure skating scene, had lasting ramifications on both of their careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was later found out that the attack had been planned by Tanya's ex-husband, and then Tanya, it seemed like, had known about it. And right. interestingly, they both competed in the 1994 Winter Olympics. Right, yeah. And Nancy Kerrigan got silver, and Tanya Harding got eighth, which seems like good karma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, they, they were both in that. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. That yeah. She recovered as quickly mm-hmm. and as well as she did. Right. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I never saw I, Tanya. Tanya. Yeah. yeah. I never saw it. Either. I never saw it. I remember when it came out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never saw that movie. I was in film school when that came out and I didn't see it. Oh. Because <laughs> I don't watch Oscar bait movies. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't. I, I don't care for the Oscars. Oh, interesting. It seems like this year there was some like um like American fiction I think looks kind of funny and Jeffrey Wright was nominated. I would see that. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh we're doing a whole podcast on the Osage murders, right. killers yeah. of the flower moon yeah, yeah, yeah. coming up. Uh yeah. My girlfriend's watched Oppenheimer like seven times. What? That movie is so yeah. long. She has the 4K Blu-ray and she'll just like put it. She'll be like, I'm going to watch Oppenheimer again. And I'm like, oh, my God, go for it. I, I saw it and I liked it, but I would never watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But, huh. Yeah. Well, to each their it's own. Like, I, it's very obvious what her favorite movie of the year was. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was very well done. I thought the last third could be cut maybe, but that's just my opinion. The next one we have is the Treaty of Paris, the 240th anniversary of the ratification of the Treaty of Paris by the Continental Congress, right. which ended the Revolutionary War. Right. I wrote a post recently. I don't know if it's gone live yet on the website or if it will be by the time this is out. Similar to our post on what year is it? I wrote one about how old is America. Oh, interesting. Which is an interesting. We celebrate July 4th as Independence Day. Mm-hmm. It's the day that America declared independence, as the name suggests. 1776, that's the date we officially say, like, the United States started. But you can make the argument that from the British perspective, the United States of America became a country on January 14th, 1784, mm-hmm. which is when the Treaty of Paris was ratified. Yeah, that's interesting. Did John Adams come up in your post at all about how he, well, he thought J- July 2nd would be, like, Independence Day. He was, no, like, convinced I didn't, I didn't about it. He wrote a letter to his wife about it. Wow. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was the fourth. <laughs> wow. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, this treaty, Britain recognized the independence, the colonies. Um, obviously, some issues remained, and they went to war in 1812, and the British burned down the White House. But now it's all good. Special friendship and everything. So it worked out in the yeah. end. And we still don't get taxed on tea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I always forget that. <laughs> it's, it's such a funny detail. <laughs> I saw I didn't really I didn't read the whole article, but I guess some American researcher was like, the right way to make tea is by adding a pinch of salt. And the British were like, no, hard stop. No, no, never heard that in my life. But uh, saw some headlines about it. Who knows? All right. So the next one, I guess we're jumping forward a couple hundred years to 2009 uh, and to the miracle on the Hudson, uh, which happened on January 15th, 2009. And that, of course, was when pilot Scully Sullenberger and his co-pilot landed a United Airways flight on the Hudson River after they hit a bunch of birds in the sky. 
<laughs> is that wait? Is that actually why? Yeah, they I've never seen the movie. I, I didn't know that it was because of birds. They took off. It was like three minutes after takeoff, and the cockpit recording is like they're like, "What a beautiful day!" And then and then Sully goes, "Birds!" And his co-pilot says, "Whoa! Oh shit!" And they hit like all these birds, geese, I believe. Wow. And both the engines shut down, and Sully had to make a decision if he was going to turn around and go back to LaGuardia where they'd taken off or try to get to New Jersey. And he said, we don't have time to get to either airport where we're going into the Hudson River. Wow. And air traffic control was like, what now? Like, you're going where? And then he had no, their engines were failed. So they landed in the uh, river. And it's kind of like, it was like charming is sort of the wrong word, but when they landed, all these like ferries and, you know, came to like the rescue, the, the passenger yeah. and the Coast Guard, but just these like little New York ferries as well. Huh. And the interesting thing too, is that after the plane landed, they there was an investigation of like, did Sully actually have to land in the river or could he have made it back to the LaGuardia? And right. they determined that if he were like a robot and not a human being, he could have made it back to the LaGuardia. But when you added reaction time, then he made the right choice because it was like that close of a call. Yeah. Huh. That's really fascinating. So this kind of leads then into our cocktail, part of History Happy Hour, because after the Miracle on the Hudson, there was a joke about a cocktail called the Sully, which was two shots of Grey Goose and a dash of water. That's really funny. Really funny. But then That's really funny. <laughs> Then there was an official version made by someone named Dale DeGroff, who the New York Times described as the king of cocktails. And it, it, it has whiskey, sweet vermouth, bitters, uh, and a float of the best champagne you can afford, and a Manhattan cherry. So it's a Manhattan with champagne. Well, one bartender said, it's a Manhattan <laughs> with a splash. And DeGroff said, it's a... A sweet Manhattan with a float of champagne on top. The Manhattan for obvious reasons, but on the sweet side. And the float of champagne to rejoice that the thing floated and didn't sink. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I don't know if I would like a Manhattan with a float of champagne on top. It sounds if it's, uh, strange. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. The Manhattan's a great cocktail. It is, and champagne's amazing, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. A couple of years ago when I was like, uh, one of my COVID hobbies was like finding fun cocktails to make. And I made one called the Red Moon over Manhattan, which is Manhattan with red wine and like an oh. orange in it. And it's very good. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's very pretty too. It's like a deep kind of like blood red. It has like a natural gradient to it. It's very pretty. This reminds me of a, I feel like I might've mentioned this before, but when I was studying abroad, there's this cocktail, not really a cocktail, but in Spain, they drink red wine and Coke. Which is really good, actually. I could see that being yeah, really like good. like yeah. cheap red wine and Coke. The, yeah. the flavors work together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, like cherry Coke. It's kind of in the same. Yeah, right. Kind of. You know, like a sweet red. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, sounds good to me. Our next story is sort of tragic, but interesting. One of those interesting tragedies. It's the 150th anniversary of the death of Chang and Ang Bunker, who were conjoined twins from, now it's Thailand, but back then it was Siam. So that's where Siamese twins comes from. They were brought to the U.S. in 1829, and they performed all their lives in what was called back then as like freak shows and, you know, made a lot of money doing that. And they lived, they were like conjoined at the waist, and they lived until they were yeah. 62 years old, which seems sort of remarkable for their condition. And they lived yeah. like they had fascinating lives. Like they, they both married different women. They had families in different houses. They just alternated like which house they were going to stay in um, every couple of days. Interesting. But in any case, 
by the end of their lives in 1874, Chang died, and then Ang died a few hours later. Uh, Chang died of a blood clot, and at first it was suggested that Ang had died of, like, fright or, like, shock because his yeah. brother had died. They think now that maybe it's because his body was pumping blood into his brother's body, which was pumping no right. blood back into his body, and so he died of, like, blood loss. Wow. That yeah. must have been an agonizing last couple of hours. Yeah. I know. Just traumatic. It is interesting how, you know, freak shows have this, um, we don't look kindly back on them now, right? And obviously they have a reputation for treating their freaks very badly. Mm -hmm. Interesting in the case of Chang and Ang that they had, for the most part, pretty decent lives yeah and there were other people like that who did pretty well on the on the circuit but anyway they, we have stories on the site of people who performed in these shows and like did well for themselves like they made good money because they had some sort of like disability that would have prevented them from working or having a normal life anyway it was sort right. of sort of a good option in a lot of ways for them yeah yeah it's a weird history it is yeah 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 pt barnum the barnum and bailey stuff yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, Siamese twins generally don't live all that long. Yeah. I mean, I know, and I'm not even sure like Siamese twins is really like even politically correct to say anymore, but they came from Siam. So there's like, I, yeah, I guess conjoined um, twins. Conjoined twins. The, there was a, yeah. I remember on like HGTV or something, there was these two girls who were conjoined twins. And I think they're still alive. It was like, like a documentary about their, mm. their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know the girls you're talking about. But it seems like most of the time when you hear about conjoined twins, it's because they have been separated at birth. So I think there's not a lot of opportunity. For them to grow up yeah. conjoined. Yeah. Yes. Which makes sense. The Hensels. Hmm. Abby and Brittany. Yeah, Hensel. that sounds. Um, and they must be like in their 30s or 40s now, I would think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it happens. Yeah, one in... Uh, it's more common than you think. Once in every 200,000 lives, live births. Hmm. Wow. Ugh. But being birthed alive, both twins being birthed alive is 40% of that. Wow. Most often one of them uh, is dead. Yeah. Ugh. I think that's the plot of that movie. Um, Malignant. Hmm. I've never heard of it. Uh, the James Wan movie, the guy who directed uh, The Conjuring. And Aquaman huh. made this movie called Malignant about a girl who had a conjoined twin in the back of her head and got it removed when she was young. But it is also basically like a demon boy, like an Antichrist type figure mm -hmm. that like still lives in her. And so the monster, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> skip ahead like a minute and 30 seconds <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, the big twist in the movie is that the monster throughout the whole thing is her and she just like walks oh. backwards and flips her hair around and it goes completely off the rails. It's a fun movie, though. Huh. Sounds sounds interesting. <laughs> we have an article about I don't remember the guy's name, but he had like a face at the back of his head. Yeah, he was. They featured him in um, that American Horror Story freak show season as well. Huh. Interesting. The worst season of any TV show I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. I hate. I Yeah. I don't, I'm not a Ryan Murphy fan. I hated that season. We, we don't need to get into it. But <laughs> it's a bad show and it's a bad season of the show. I only watched the first season and I think I watched a couple episodes of the second one in the mental asylum and it got, yeah. it was like, oh, it was so like disgusting. Yeah. And I was like, I yeah. can't, I can't do this. Yeah. The first season is the only one worth watching. Uh, 
Uh, and then, yeah, our last historical anniversary, which it's kind of crazy that we consider this a historical anniversary, but it is. It, it certainly, yeah. 100% is, but it like, when you compare it to the other things we talk about, mm-hmm. it's so completely different. But it's the 40th anniversary as of January 22nd of the Apple Macintosh going on sale for the first time. Um, and of course, of that iconic advertisement, they had the 1984 ad that came out with like the big brother figure and yeah yeah 40 years the ad said and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984 yeah it's a great ad but it was a big deal because computers until that point were like complicated and normal people couldn't really use them and then mac was like here you just click and point how easy is that and that changed i mean look at where we are today changed everything I know there are, you know, most of us, I think, are fans of Apple products in general. Um, iPhone is the most widely used phone in America. Not the case worldwide. A lot more people use Android phones and WhatsApp versus iMessage, whatever. We don't need to get into that debate. I think it's really interesting when people are quick to disparage Apple for what they've done in the tech space. And for sure, they've not always done great things. I think like when it comes to a person's right to repair their Mm. computer that they bought apple's terrible yeah with that annoying. they have very much a walled garden style ecosystem which is the eu of all things is pushing back on recently mm. so there's definitely criticism to be had there that said i think the fact that they've made advanced technology as accessible and easy to use as they have and that that has been a continuous thing throughout all of apple's products the ipad the iPhone, Max, the Apple Watch. I'm sure they have Vision Pro coming out now that it's going to be one of the like simplest versions of augmented reality mm. when they finally like get it right. <clears throat> I, I was talking to my mom about this the other day because everyone in my family has an iPhone except my grandmother who has an Android phone. Hmm. And the only reason she has an Android phone is because for years she was able to get cheap Android phones and she didn't want to spend a lot of money on a phone. Now she has a higher end Android phone. And she constantly calls me to ask me how to do certain things on it. Mm -hmm. And for years, I've been saying, we should just get Grammy an iPhone. We should just get her an iPhone. And everyone in my family's like, no, she's not going to know how to use it. She's not going to. I'm like, it's the easiest phone in the world to figure out. It is so simple by design compared to other phones. And there's a lot of credit to be paid due to Apple for how accessible they make everything, even if it's a little pricier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Macintosh was that, and that changed things. And I mean, the iPhone changed uh, everything. Literally everything. everything. Wasn't that the whole tagline with it? Like, this changes everything. And then oh. they iterated on it. They were like, this will change. This changes everything again or something like that. Yeah. I read this. It's not really a book. It's like a, a I'm not really sure how to describe it by Annie or no called The Years. It's kind of about her like growing up and everything. And she writes about how how much the world changed when you could listen to music with headphones. And it was listening to music before had been kind of like a sometimes a social thing. You would go over and listen to a right. record together. But it was it was sort of also like a private thing. And now you could walk on to the street and listen to music in your ears. That was yeah so different. And now not only can you do that. It's all on your phone, which also has a camera, which also has like a hundred other things you can do. Yeah. Like, And 
a very advanced camera. Yeah. Like not just a, oh, this will have to do because it's like you can shoot a feature film on it now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. amazing. I mean. I completely skipped over the iPod when I was going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Arguably was, the biggest, yes. the biggest uh, advancement they ever made was the iPod. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say so, that's yeah. a pretty big uh, historic anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's also kind of just crazy to think how far we've come in 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. That's so true. Where will we be in 40 more years? Yeah, we've finally had some people calling in and writing in and um, recommending things. And uh, someone recommended an episode of Law and Order SVU that, while not directly naming David Reimer, basically retells his story. Mm-hmm. Who we covered on a past episode. Yes. Yeah. Who we talked about before of somebody who was born male, a botched circumcision led them to be raised female, and then they would eventually transition back to their original gender. Yeah. That's in an episode of Law and Order. So uh, if you're a Law and Order fan, you might have seen it already, not even realized that was David Reimer's story. Mm-hmm. And if you are not a Law and Order fan, uh, it might be worth checking out if you're just interested in stories like David Reimer's. Yeah, well, it's so fascinating. That's I think that's a story that's not super well known, but right. someone, some scriptwriter in Law and Order, came across it at some point and was like, "That's compelling. Let's throw it into a, a TV show." Yeah, and it is it is a fascinating story. A TV show where it like it doesn't even really fit. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. it's a crime procedural. It's they're solving murders and stuff. Well, cr- crime stories are, you know, like human stories, I think, at heart. You yeah. know, and uh, yeah. this is a very human story. David Reimer's tragic story. Right. I think the interesting thing is you can make an entire TV show about David Reimer's story. Yeah, absolutely. But to include it in an episode of Law and Order is very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was a an eagle-eyed listener uh, spot of that. And that was, we, we eagle, were all eagle fascinated. Eagle-eared, yes. Eagle-eared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were excited to get that call and to be like, oh, yeah, and Law and Order covered him. How interesting. Yeah, but also nice, again, as much, you know, we we sit here and we talk about stuff. We don't pretend to know everything. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I, I saw a negative comment <laughs> about our podcast once that was like, these two don't know anything. And I was like, I never claimed to. Well, I think like part of the <laughs> part of the fun of our job is we get to learn so much, you know, but it's right. like, we're not experts on everything. We, just get, we learn about these things every day. And then we distill and share the information with other people. But um, yeah, so I mean, we're constantly learning stuff. That's part of the fun of our job. That's part of the fun of this show Mm -hmm. is that we hope we can take what we've, you know, written about and talked about and learned about maybe some more niche stuff that other people don't talk to and then share it with other people so that they can then share it with other people and uh yeah then we get into this game of telephone of sharing information with each right other. didn't kit say the other day like the original tagline of the show was something like topics we can't stop thinking about yeah yeah which is yeah very often the case and, and vice versa i like when people write in and we learn something new as well yeah we have some some other things to talk about as we continue with our jack the ripper series people yeah have responded to polls on spotify and written in as well about some things we've mentioned so we're going to talk about those moving forward in those episodes as well yeah and if you are listening to this and you have something you'd like to share with us you can do so by writing in to podcast at all that's interesting dot com mm-hmm. drop us a little email there let us know what you've learned uh, respond if you're listening on spotify this episode will likely have a poll of some kind of that some we kind, usually yeah. do um yeah 
And you can also leave a voicemail if you want, as this Law & Order listener did. The number is 929-526-3029. And yeah, it's fun to hear what people think and have noticed. And we're yeah super into that. So I definitely do that. Yeah. And if you want to get more into any of these stories that we talked about today or the stories behind these historical anniversaries, you can, of course, find those at allthatsinteresting.com. Become a member there at allthatsinteresting.com slash membership and allthatsinteresting.com slash sign up if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter. Yes, 100%. And we'll be back next week with episode three. Three. Episode three of Jack the Ripper. Yes, victim three of the stride. Yeah. And then continue on with that series. And then we have more stuff coming down the pipeline. Is that the second time I've said coming down the pipeline? <laughs> That's <laughs> the second time. <laughs> I need new material. Yeah, more stuff That's coming. Funny. More good stuff coming. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to, you know, give the show a rating, it helps mm. us out. Uh, it helps more people discover the show. Also makes me feel good. So that's always, I'm assuming it's a good rating. Yeah, it's nice, it's nice <laughs> it to read the nice good. readings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For or you sure. Can rate us low and humble me. You know, it's your life. <laughs> do what you want. Um, you can also find us on social media on Instagram at History Uncovered Podcast at Real History Uncovered on TikTok. Nice. Well, then, I guess uh, until next time, and we'll be back with more Jack the Ripper. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.